Well, good morning. This morning, we are beginning to make a turn in the, in the Christian year, in the, in the church year. We're about to turn a corner. And the, um, uh, to, actually, we're turning towards Advent. Okay? Christmas is just around the corner. The stores are putting out all the Christmas stuff. And as we come to the end of the year, the church begins, us to, move, to, begins to move us to think about what it means for Jesus to come, for God himself to show up. That's what Christmas is about, really. It's about God coming to us in the person of Jesus, his son. It's about God becoming a human being, first as a baby and then growing up into a child and then growing from there to be a, a, a full-grown man. It's about God showing up in the ordinariness of life in unexpected ways. That's what we remember each year when we come to the celebrate Christmas. And Advent is that time of the church year that the church sets apart for us to ponder just what it means for God to come. And it's also a time for us to prepare ourselves for when Christ comes again. For as we say in the Nicene Creed every Sunday, we do believe that he is coming back. As we get closer to Advent and Christmas each year, our readings start to look toward that time. In fact, some, in some parts of the Anglican world, this Sunday is called the, sur, the third Sunday before Advent. It's, it's because they're getting ready. And so because this is the third Sunday before Advent, today each of the readings talk about the sudden and unexpected arrival of God. These readings are like warning lights to us. They are telling us that for many of us, the gauge is on empty. God is coming. Are you ready? Well, this past week we saw a video, and um, it was really an amazing video. It was a video of a, of a small boat out on a lake, and it was, a boat was filled with people, and the camera was looking across the lake at this mountain that was kind of smoking, okay? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the mountain just exploded, and uh, it was a volcano, and it erupted right there, and these people were on the lake right next to the volcano, and it was unbelievable to watch. The force of the, eru of, of, of the eruption was enormous. And the shock waves, you could see the shock waves just call the, cause the clouds to just dissipate in rings like this over it. And then uh, the shock wave hit the boat. Everybody was like, wait, wait for the shock wave, get ready. And it was, it was like a movie shock wave because it was just, it was amazing. The sound was deafening. It was an amazing thing to see. Uh, on the video, you could see the compression of the air like just compression waves, and the light was kind of bent because the air was compressed and got denser around the, 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 the explosion or the volcanic eruption. I wish I could show it to you. I can't. We don't have a projector screen in here. But it was truly awe-inspiring. And as I watched it, I just thought, this is the nature that God made, right? Just one small part of the nature that God made. It was one small eruption on a, from a very small volcano, on a small planet, but the power of it was just unimaginable, enough to take your breath away. And then it just made me think that if you consider all that God has made, the planets and the stars and the galaxies, the vastness of creation, it just boggles the mind. I don't know if you've ever allowed yourself uh, to really consider how unimaginably vast creation is. I don't know if you've ever stood in awe at the cliff of the Grand Canyon where you can just see it opening up for you and you feel incredibly small. Or even just here at the edge of the, of the water here. You can stand at the edge of the water and look out at the Gulf of Mexico, look out at the ocean and just feel small. But somehow, I want you to try to capture that. Capture that, just a little bit of that awe. Remember what it feels like to feel small in the face of such glory. 
And then consider with me our readings from today. All of them are about God showing up. But let's just look at the first one from the prophet Amos. Here's the thing. At the time that Amos was writing this, 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 his prophecy, the people were in the habit, the people were in the habit of looking to the day when God would come again, looking to the, well, not come again, but just would come, and, and it would be a vindication, not for God, but for them. They like to think of it as a day in which God would show up and take their side in their disputes, act as a big bodyguard in the sky, kind of. But listen to what Amos tells them. Um, I'm sure you heard it, and this doesn't seem like a, a reading that you'd have in church because it just seems kind of seems odd and, and harsh. But listen, Amos tells them, alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord. Why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or went into their house and put their hand on the wall and was bitten by a snake. And think of that. Here were God's people, but they had failed to grasp just how frightening such a day might be, so how frightening it might be for God to show up, the God who made everything, the God who made volcanoes, when the God who made the heavens and the earth shows up. Uh, and, and, and it's just, is he going to be less vast than the creation that he has made? Is he going to be less awe-inspiring than uh, an erupting volcano, less awesome, less scary? Will he inspire less awe than that? Less awe than standing at the Grand Canyon. They wanted God to come and to take their side. That's what they wanted. Help them fight their enemies. Be a God who would be their bodyguard. But that's basically it. But Amos says this. When God shows up, it will be like you have been fleeing a lion, but you ran into the claws of a bear. That's what it's going to be like for you when God shows up. Why would Amos say such a thing to them? That's hardly a comforting image today, is it? Fleeing a lion, but finding oneself in the claws of a bear. But here's why Amos said it. They really didn't want God to show up at all. That's not what they wanted. They wanted something else. They wanted a God that they could control, a God that would take their side, a domesticated God, a smaller God who would endorse what they were already doing in their life and help them live the, help them live the lives they wanted to live. They were confused about who was God and who was not. What made them think that God would take their side what made them think that they hadn't become like God's enemies in the world? And that's what Amos wanted his people to see. They, even though they were God's chosen people, had become like his enemies in the world. They were living like all the other nations were living. They had embraced systems of injustice and greed. They had become prideful and arrogant in the world. Instead of guarding the widow and the orphan, instead of looking out for the less fortunate, they were abusing them right there in the nation of Israel. Instead of showing hospitality to foreigners, they were mistreating them. Even though God was with them, even though they had God's law, even though they knew what it looked like to be God's people, they were failing to be that. Even though he had blessed them, they were no different than all the other nations in the world. They were no different than the ones that didn't know God at all. So, the, through, so through the prophet Amos, God says to this people, this is from our reading this morning. He says, I hate, I hate and I despise your festivals and I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. He doesn't like this, I guess, if, if, if we're like his people. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of your fatted animals, I, I won't even look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. 
I will not listen to the melody of your harps. He doesn't want any of it from them. He doesn't want their sacrifices. He doesn't want their songs. People, he doesn't want their worship. He doesn't want their worship. What does he want? If he doesn't want their worship, what does God want? Well, look at that last line from our reading this morning. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. One of Martin Luther King's famous verses. What does God want from his people? He wants justice. He wants righteousness. He wants his, he wants his people to live like and look like and, and, and live like people who have been remade and redeemed by him. He wants renewed lives. That's the kind of worship that God wants from his people. He wants them to live lives for him. And unless he gets that, none of the other stuff that we might offer him matters at all. And God isn't just looking for an act of justice here or some acts of righteousness over here, righteous behavior over here. Look how he describes it. He wants justice to roll down like waters. He wants a flood of justice. He wants the ground to be saturated with justice, rivers of justice throughout the land. He wants a land made holy and a people made holy by the waters of justice and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, a stream that never runs dry because the people of God are always ready, always looking to bring justice and righteousness in the world. That's what God was looking for his people in the time of Amos. That's the kind of worship that God desired, but he couldn't find it anywhere. He looked, but the rivers had all run dry. And that's a very sobering word for us. Because a lot of people today, a lot of people in the church look just like that. Just like God's people did in Amos' time. Not thinking about God during the week, living however they want to, doing business however they want to, paying no heed whatsoever to how God would have them live. But then coming to church on Sunday and singing songs and praying with everybody else. And what does God say? He says he hates it. He'd rather you not even offer your worship if you're not going to offer your life to him. Don't tell me you love me, God says, if you really don't. And if God shows, shows up, Amos says this, uh, and, and if God shows up and your life looks like that, don't expect it to be a lovely thing for him to show up because it won't be what you were hoping for. It won't be God to the rescue. It will be like escaping a lion but running right into the claws of a bear. Does that make sense? I mean, it's pretty harsh, right? Pretty fun stuff to think about on a Sunday morning. Let me tell you, if you're ever looking for a downer, if if you're just thinking, I'm just just too happy right now, go read the Minor Prophets, and they will bring you down. (laughs) They will bring you down. So what do we do, though? I mean, what do we do with this, with this reading this morning? What do we do? Because I'm sure it can't all be bad news. Well, you know the lights on your dashboard? The lights on your car dashboard? They come on when something isn't right in your car. Well, one of mine has been on for the last 10 years. I bought my car 12 years ago, and it's been a great car. But when I first bought it, I noticed that there was this light that would kind of come on and then go off and come back on. And so I took it in, and, um, and the mechanic gave it back to me. He said, the lights, uh, everything's fixed. Uh, but I noticed that when I got home, the light was still on. And so I took it back again. But he said, you know what? It's nothing really to worry about. I mean, there are some things that we could change. We could replace some things here and there, but it's really expensive, and, and really, it's a Honda. You're fine. Don't worry about the light. Just don't worry about that light. Well, that was 10 years ago. That was 10 years of driving ago, and the light has been burning ever since. 
And now guess what? The light means nothing to me. It's not a warning to me at all. I, I, it just tells me that the car is on. I've turned the key. Is my car running? Well, the check engine light's run on, so my car is on, right? Anyway, it wouldn't really matter if there really were something wrong. That light is of no use to me at this point because even if something new, something terrible, even if something were catastrophically wrong, there's no way for my car to tell me anymore because I'm ignoring the warning signs. I wouldn't even know. I wouldn't even know to care that there was something wrong with my car. And to me, that's a lot like what the minor prophets are, are in the Old Testament. They're like the warning lights of the Bible, reminding us that everything's not right under the hood of our lives. This passage from Amos is like a warning light. And if we ignore it, then the warning will matter less and less to us the more we live, while the problem only grows worse and worse under the hood. Here's why this passage from Amos, as we start turning our hearts towards Advent and Christmas, isn't all bad news. Here's why it isn't and shouldn't be a downer to us this morning, even though it feels like it might be. Because just like the warning light on the desk, it's warning us that there might be problems in our lives, problems under the hood. But the warning comes before everything breaks down. There's still time to fix it. It's like a cardiologist telling you that your triglycerides are way too high. You know, you got to get that blood pressure under control. But then he gives you ways to get it fixed, ways to address the problems, tools to be able to make changes in your life. And so after hearing a reading like this, here's what we should do. Here's what we should do. Here's how we should respond this morning. First, we should praise God that he cares enough to let us know that there's problems. We should praise God that he cares enough to let us know that things aren't right and he doesn't want us to stay that way. The Bible says he disciplines those he loves and we don't like the discipline, but praise God for loving us enough to discipline us when we need it. His warning came through, Moses, through Amos because he didn't want his people, to suffer the consequences of the life they were living. Does that make sense? The only reason the prophet shows up is because God cares enough to send the prophet in the first place. He doesn't want, uh, he doesn't want them to have to suffer the consequences. The warning through Amos was an act of mercy from the Lord. It was a diagnosis that comes with a remedy. Praise God that he cares enough about us to let us know when things aren't right. And then, thanking God for the warning light, we should look at our lives. We shouldn't just thank him for caring about us. We should thank him for caring about us and then actually look at our lives. We should look at why do we worship God? Are we just doing the religious stuff to keep God on our good side so that maybe he'll bless what we're doing, bless our families and bless our businesses? Do you come to church and pray only, in, only uh, because you hope that by doing that somehow God will make your life better and easier? I mean, if that's what you're doing, then Amos would tell you that you are treating God no better than the pagan people treated their idols back in the day. That's what the people were doing in Amos' time. Religion and all the ceremonies were just used as a way to coerce God into blessing their life. You do this, offer this sacrifice, this act of worship, and in return, the expectation is that God owes you certain things. And if that's how you've lived your life with God, Amos says that's paganism. That's just what it is. It's paganism. If that's how you approach your relationship with God, the warning light today is that's paganism. It's not Christianity. But remember, praise God that he cares us enough to not let us live like that. And then, 
once we've done the di- once we've heard the diagnosis and looked at our lives and, and, and examined them as Advent approaches, as, as we remember the coming of the Lord. This is our hope. Our hope is Jesus, who lived a perfect life and died a spotless death for us instead of us. He did it in our stead. And he even did it as one of us, so that through him, by throwing ourselves at his feet, by begging for mercy from him, we might be transformed from the inside out into people who look like and act like and live like him. That's our hope this morning. And every morning, really, that God did come. And we weren't ready when he came. We weren't ready. But he came to show us mercy, to redeem us and remake us and fill us with his life and his grace. That is our hope. So, people, as the season of Advent draws near and and as we move into the season where Christmas is all around us, let us be people who pause, who look inwardly, look for warning signs in our life, signs of things being not quite right. And then let's take ourselves to the one who knows how to fix it and make everything right again, who knows how to replace our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Jesus, the Christ, the only Son of God, That's our hope. Let's pray. Well, God, we praise you for your warning lights in our lives. Thank you for caring too much about us to not warn us that there's problems under the hood. Give us grace to heed the warning and to rejoice in your power to heal us. We love you and we bless you and we pray this in Jesus' name.